are live. Yes, we are live with Brian Garish, head of Banfield Pet Hospitals. And I'm really excited to speak with you today because on a number of fronts, but I have two dogs, two cats, and I, I never had them because when I was little, I was allergic and I still am. But then when I had kids, of course, you know, you have to get them. And so <laughs> I, I, I am tortured with red eyes, sneezing all the time, but I love them and it's great. And you're, you're, you're a perfect guy to speak to. So maybe what we can do is you could just tell a little bit about yourself and what you do and, and just, we'll just jump right into it. Yeah, happy to. So I'll start with Banfield. So leading Banfield Pet Hospitals, we're a chain of veterinary hospitals across the U.S. We have 1,050 locations, 42 states, D.C., Puerto Rico, and a teaching hospital in Mexico City. So we have nearly 20,000 associates that are working at Banfield that are all bound by this purpose, this internal drive, this internal purpose of wanting to make a better role for pets. And it's exactly what you described of your pets. So you may have the red eyes and the itchiness. That human-animal bond is so strong. The, the unconditional love is fantastic. Right, and when they look at you, when they give you those eyes and they look at you, it's, it's like your heart melts. And yeah, it's amazing. It's unbelievable, right? It really and, is. And, and what we found, we, we, we at Banfield and in the profession have always known how important the human-animal bond was yeah. and the role that pets played in our lives. And then, unfortunately, we, we went through, or, or I guess we're still going through this global pandemic. And But what we learned through this was how important pets truly were to our lives. With nearly 23 million households adopting a pet during the pandemic, and that, and that unconditional love has been unbelievable. And I have two cats, uh, Ashton and Kenji, and uh, they, 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 they run my life, and th these cats are out of control. And the antics that they do bring me so much joy and pain and frustration at times because <laughs> they are different than dogs like i noticed i'll come home and they're happy to see me really excited cat they're like meh <laughs> it's the funniest thing they'll look at me eh. like yeah you know, you're back why why'd you come back so soon right yeah so it's just so it's so true and so fun and uh and then then a few hours later then they come up and snuggle again exactly, like, I, exactly. I, I missed you it's great so it's been it's been it's been absolutely amazing to 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 be part of this industry, and I absolutely love it. And so just a little bit about me: I've been at Banfield now for six and a half years, so it'll be seven years this fall. And it was just an amazing opportunity to to think about an, an, a veterinary practice that was scalable across the United States, that had this opportunity to truly become a leader. And it wasn't just in quality of medicine or in which ways in which we connected with, with, uh, with pets. But for me, the opportunity was a way to scale uh, authenticity and empathy and a people strategy. Because when you have people that are working on the front lines, you typically have higher turnover. And, and unfortunately, we weren't necessarily taking care of our associates. And when I looked at, you have all these associates that are here because they love pets. And yet when they leave, they're not leaving necessarily the industry. They're going to a, a private practice or they're going somewhere else. So we had this amazing opportunity where when people join Banfield, and this is thousands of people that were not doctors where you were only in the industry, it was clear that when they applied, they wanted to go to Banfield or they wanted to be in the industry and then they would have a few other locations. And so it was interesting to understand what the turnover was, 
what the strategy was and just shaping that strategy around people to truly have a people first strategy because our people strategy became the business strategy and that's been leading to our success thus far. Just so you understand a bit with, with a, a, a vet clinic, is mm-hmm. it just taking care of sick animals or do you also do grooming and other things on top of that? Yeah, so in the industry, there's many different formats. Right. At Banfield, we specialize in wellness plans, which is preventive care. So we believe prevention is really the heart of everything that we do. Now we see sick sick pets, of course, and, we'll, and we do routine surgeries and different surgeries depending on where we are and in, in, in our doctors across the United States. But we focus on something that's called optimum wellness plans. And the wellness plans are designed of bundling services to make sure that we can make pet care affordable. So we know that like typically when you go to a veterinarian, you're gonna have an experience of you go in for X and then you're paying a bill for Y and you just kind of rinse and repeat every time you need to go to the veterinarian. We wanted to take this model that said, here are all services in which you need uh, that your pet needs and we bundle them together, we discount them and then we give you affordable payment. So the whole concept was we wanted to make preventive care at the forefront to do what we can do now for, for our pets to make sure that they can live you know, the best life they can. And we wanted to make it consistent, predictable, and affordable. So then I would imagine the people on your team run the gamut from you know, someone who will operate on your pet, but then also yep. someone who would do maybe you know, kind of entry-level type of work mm-hmm. as well, right? So Correct. I, and speak of that, you have an, you have an interesting journey from where you started, right? So, so you didn't go to school to be a veterinarian or anything like that. You have a Correct. completely, maybe you could tell a little bit about your journey because it's unique. And I think for, for people who are watching this now and will watch it later, I, I think it's so important when you hear people, what they go through. Because a lot of times people, they knock around, they can't find their way, they're right. not sure <laughs> what happens. And they just look people who are successful and say, oh boy, they just ha- you know, they just got there. And they don't realize what goes behind the scenes. So I always like hearing the story because then it gives people, you know, the encouragement to say, oh, wow, this person did it. I could do it too. So maybe you could share your journey a little bit. Absolutely. And, and happy to, and if, if and, and happy to share my story with anyone out there that <laughs> wants to learn more as well, because, and I, I, I share that Jack, because like it really started from when I was 16 years old and I learned three very powerful lessons and from like, say, well, I've, I've continued to learn lessons, but my time initially, I learned these three powerful lessons around mentorship and people development around culture and inclusion as a growth strategy. So those three things I'll talk about in a second, but I go back to that people mentorship. I just love to help people because we all have a unique experience. We all have difficulties and we all have this journey. It's how do we fight through the adversity? How do we have people that we can count on and how do we continue to really to listen, learn, but at the end of the day, it's about delivering results and taking care of people. And when you can do that, honestly, the sky's the limit for whatever you wanna accomplish. And if I can just be part of anyone's success, I'd be honored to do that. But going back, let's go back to 16 year old Brian. 16 year old Brian, (laughs) stocking shelves, sweeping floors, mopping bathrooms, cashiering. And we were this is Walgreens? Walgreens drugstores, yep, I, I lived in the Midwest. And it was, a, it was really a part-time job because I wanted my financial independence. I wanted to prove that I can be financially independent for my parents and not dependent on 
whether I can go to the movies or yeah. go out to eat or whatever with my friends. Cause then, you know, you always ask mom and dad for money. So I wanted to have that independence And what I thought was just a part-time job. I had no idea it was going to turn into something that it did. Um, I had no idea that I thought I was going to have a career in retail. I thought I was never going to do any of that. And you know, I had these grandiose plans for what I thought my life was going to be. But it's interesting. It's not always about the plan that you have. It's about taking advantage and seeing the opportunities that are in front of you. So I was 16, doing that for a couple of years, finished high school, went to college. And I went to college. And after one semester, I ended up dropping out. I dropped out because I, I wasn't ready. I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I just, I didn't find my path. But I dropped out of college. And I was scared. I was very, very scared. I woke up and I'll never forget being at the kitchen table, head buried in my hands, crying, because I didn't know what I was gonna do with my life. I was making essentially minimum wage, I'm you know, living at home, and that wasn't how I envisioned my life. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And I had someone take me under his wing and mentored me and said, here's your potential. You have to put the work in and you have to do it. But if you can do this, Here's where you can here's where you can grow your career. And from that opportunity, I never said no. I said yes to everything. Can you do this? Yes. Can you work this night? Yes. Can you work this overnight? Yes. Whatever it was, I understood that it was an opportunity and it was an opportunity for me to, to perform my best work, the hardest work, the fastest work, the most diligent work. And I can separate myself from everybody else because at the end of the day, I could out, I just felt like I could outwork everybody if I put the work in and did it. Then I became an assistant manager. I became a store manager. And, and that powerful impact that someone developed me, then throughout my career, I always looked up to people and asked, hey, how can I learn from you? And how can you mentor me, et cetera? It was just something that really changed my life. And then where I wanted to, I'll pivot next is, Throughout this time, all of a sudden, you start to see, I started experiencing a culture that was amazing and a culture that started to deteriorate. The common denominator was the leader. The leader, no matter your, your role in your organization, you create the culture. And as a store manager, I was responsible for the culture in which I created for a store. And I got to experience incredible cultures and cultures that weren't so good. And then you would see how it impacted people's lives, which leads me to my final point of, that inclusion as a growth strategy is so important because when you include people and ask them their opinion and see them for who they are and see them for the value in which they can provide, you end up having two-way conversation, two-way dialogue, much stronger and better buy-in. And when you have that, you're working together now as a team. And when you do that, you produce the best results, but you do it the right way through team dynamics and people. And those three lessons on, on people development, mentorship, ultimately inclusion as a growth strategy, but centering in on culture, culture has to be your top priority as any leader. And it's not, it's one thing to say it, but you actually have to do it. There's a lot to unpack there. So for mentorship, yeah. how, let's say somebody who's watching this feels kind of lost mm -hmm. and they need direction. How would you go? It sounds like that person came to you, but how would you then reach out to somebody to say, Hey, I see what yeah. you're doing. You're doing, it looks like you're doing great. Can you help me out? Is it simple as that? Or what, what would you suggest? Yeah, it, it is as simple as that. And you have to make sure that it's, it's mutual. Right. I think mutuality is so important. Every time I've, I've asked for mentorship or had mentorship, I go into it 
saying, what is it that I want? And I got to I have to be specific in naming what I want and what I can get from the person. But also it is, what am I going to provide? What value am I going to provide as well? Because if I'm just only taking, right. that, that's not mutual. And you know, maybe it's one meeting I get, maybe it's two meetings. And at some point people stop, you're not building that relationship. So I'm very, I'm very intentional on mentorship and, and sponsorship in a mutual way. What is it that I specifically need? And what is it that I'm specifically going to get? And I think the other thing then is, it's not always about just taking the advice and doing it, but it is, are you willing to do the work? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes you'll hear people say, hey, I'm really interested in this, but are you really, really, really interested in doing the work? Because if you're doing the work, that's where growth happens. And that's where you get to make an impact. That's where you get to experience uh, successes and failures. And so when I think about mentorship, early in my life, it was, it was visual on what I was able to do. So they would say, Hey, can you do this? And I'd go do it. They'd come in the store and it was, you know, immaculate or it was faced very well or whatever. But then as you grow, it's about impact is different. And then it's always that reiteration of, Hey, you told me this, this is the impact it had on me. This is what I did. And this is the impact it had on others. And so when mentors see that it's truly mutual and you're listening and, um, and actually implementing it, it creates more of that relationship and buy-in and I, and, and most people are will, really willing to give their time to do that, to help. So how would you, if someone's, let's say early on in their career, what can you offer for that more senior person who's mentoring you? Oh gosh, perspective. I, I think when I look yeah. at the mentors I had, <laughs> I, they were always more senior and I was always able to help them in terms of here's what people on the front lines are thinking that okay that makes and sense. and that perspective was important and and i think about that even in, in my role today some of the mentors i have out there while they may be in a different industry i can maybe they're they're retired ceos of, of companies i can kind of say here's what's interesting on the on the, on the ground of, of some of other people that i know they're leading businesses and it's always about the perspective in which i can sh i can share and I think that perspective is something that's incredibly important. And, and another part you mentioned is about uh, the culture. So when you were at Walgreens, you became, let's say, yeah. an assistant management manager yeah. or ran uh, a store, a division, you're kind of the CEO of that store, or CEO Correct. of that division. So what did you see? And you mentioned there's some cultures that you're like, wow, this is terrible. And others yeah. are great. What are some of the elements that, that you saw works and doesn't work? Well, what's, what's interesting is, you would see like, so when I go, I'll go back to my store manager days, yeah. you get to see the results of all the stores in the, in the market. And you would see some just thriving and growing fast and others, you know, not growing so fast. And I was, I would just pay attention to what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing. What I mean by that is I remember going into meetings and just listening listening to what the store managers were asking, saying, watching body language, so the, all the stated and unstated concerns. And of course, after the meeting, I'll, a number of people would always go out and you know, grab something to eat or whatever. And you then listen to the conversation. And I just remembered the perspective of, oh my gosh, two years ago, we were talking about this. It was positive <laughs> and there's excitement. Today, it tends to be this, yeah. which is negative and you know, et cetera. And then you start looking at the store managers impact on the results and i'll never forget talking to a few store managers and i would go in all their stores to pick up outs or pick up you know merchandise and such and i'd go in there and i would just talk to the people 
their all their associates and saying, hey, what did you what did you learn about our meeting that we had last week? And I found common denominators. The stores that were doing the best had no idea the store <laughs> manager was frustrated. Mm -hmm had no idea of what was happening really in the district, but they were aligned on the big takeaways from the meeting. So I would go into some of the stores and you would see total alignment from all the associates because they were told the you know, five takeaways that we have to do, what we're working on as a district. And then, and I'd say, oh, how's, how's so-and-so? Is he, is he in a good mood or whatever? And it's like, oh yeah, he's always in a great mood. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then you'd see this other big group that you'd go in and their associates were not aligned. And I'd say, how are they in a good mood? And they're like, no, terrible, da, 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 right? And I'll never forget when, this, when, the, when the person who's ringing the front cash register is the first person the customer and patient sees, and the last, by the way, the one that's sending, sending the nice greeting or saying, hey, thank you for coming in and coming back. When they don't experience a good culture, they take on that. And so I talked to some of the store managers that were doing the best. I said, how do you, how, like, hey, listen, I was in the meeting with you last week. You're, you're, you're frustrated. You're, you're, not, you're not enjoying this any longer. And then it turned into, yeah, but my people need to experience, they don't need to experience that because I'm impacting them. And I'll never forget that because running a store, those the, the people in the store were, were they, 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 they felt my energy and that either impacted them, it impacted them one way or the other. And I just thought, this is a responsibility. This isn't just a store. I'm just not just a store manager. I had maybe 30 associates in the store. I'm responsible for 30 people. They're working here and they can have the best environment or they don't. And that's all my choice and how I choose to show up. And, and I just saw that common denominator of no matter your role in the organization, you create the culture. So what I, as, I, as I kept accelerating my, throughout my career, it was always, I, I need to be very visible. I need to be available. And I want to have that two-way dialogue with our, with our associates to make sure that I'm understanding what people are experiencing. Because at the end of the day, strategy without empathy is a wasted idea. It doesn't matter how great the strategic plan is that you have. If your people aren't bought into it, you're not realizing the best results that you can and you're not taking care of people. And that experience is actually why I went back to college then was to gain my independence because I was experiencing this culture that I was stuck in, in my current role versus having the opportunity to, to be responsible for my own, my own experience. You know, it's so interesting as let's say a consumer hearing you talk, I see this play out all the time. Because we've all gone go through this. Maybe you go to a restaurant, a fast, food, fast food place, you name it, and you could just feel the vibe when you're there. Like you could just tell when you said about the cashier ringing up, someone yeah. just so nice and pleasant, and it's and you walk away feeling good, and yep. and then you could come back there because you just left with a good feeling. Others, you could just tell they're just unhappy, they're cranky, yeah. they're ornery, and you know that's coming from the top that they're just feeling they're not exactly. they don't feel it, and then. If you go back to those places, you could even then you start noticing oh, it's a little dirty. You know what I mean? The, the aisles are kind of, and this is probably, you know, you can appreciate the aisles are not just yeah, right. Absolutely. Things aren't put back the right way. And then you're like, I'm not going to go back here. This just feels, you know, you know, like you go to a restaurant, you find a little like, like dirt on something. You, all of a sudden you're like, oh, there's dirt on here. What else? I'm not going <laughs> to eat back here. I'll go somewhere else. So it does. So, so, it, and, and, and I guess you in a way, what a great way to start, like, you know, from the, from, from the bottom up, 
so that you learn those things as you're going. So now when you're a CEO, you, you, know, you can kind of absolutely share what works and what doesn't work. You've kind of over the years found, okay, I don't want to do this because I see it doesn't work. I want to do this. And so how does it, it seems like you were ahead of the time. Like I'm speaking to all these, you know, CEOs and chief people officers and, and the watchwords are all about empathy, taking care of people, making sure their mental health and emotional well-being is, is on right. target, that yeah. they're not going through burnout. A lot of it is because they're afraid and I'm not questioning how, you know, their, you know, their motives, but a lot of it is because they're worried they're going to lose people and they're worried, how can I attract, recruit and retain right. people? But you were doing this before it became a thing. Yeah. So what made you maybe like, how do you work with your team, with your people? And you have like, what, 1500 different locations. So this is huge, you know, right? There's a lot of people, a lot of staff. So yeah. How, how do you take care of everybody? It, it's it's tough. It, it's tough. So I, I think just naming it that how it is very, very difficult is incredibly important, but it's not insurmountable. And it, it's it's very simple. It's not easy to do, but right. it is very, very simple. And it is just listen to your people and have two way dialogue. I like I like to refer to that as just conversation at scale, conversation mm -hmm. at scale is how we do it at Banfield. So when you think about, yes, being, being however many locate, how the, all the locations we have and over 20, 000, almost 20,000 associates across the US, it's incredibly important that we understand what is it that they're experiencing and what's working, what's not working, gather the themes and make sure that our strategy is really driven by our associates because they're the ones that are gonna have to implement. Yeah. So our, yeah, sure, there's some IT things and some digital components and assets that you're, you're creating in your corporate office that your associates aren't doing, but your associates are on the front lines dealing with the consumer or dealing with the client in our case, or dealing with whomever in, in, you know, in other businesses. At the end of the day, there's someone talking to a customer. And if they're not experiencing that right culture, they're not gonna work as hard as they could. The discretionary effort isn't there. And it's about that perspective. And I genuinely believe it's one of the most important competencies that I believe a leader can have is perspective. Because I think there's sometimes there's too many of these buzzwords out there of this, 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 and we, we want to gravitate toward, towards it. But perspective for me is, is something that is truly in, in my soul because we all come from a place, we all have been promoted by someone. I mean, it's, it's amazing when you look to, and talk to so many people, it's like, who promoted you early in your career, gave you this role or whatever. When you start talking to listen to people's careers, they can tell you every single person that promoted them. And it's, you have that impact, ability to impact people and leave that legacy. And so no matter what your role you had, you came from somewhere and it was, what did you think of the CEO? What did you think of the functional leader? So the chief marketing officer or you know, chief off operating officer or whomever, what did you experience here? And when we can stay grounded in what we experience, we then need to apply that to ourselves. Because often we experience something, but we don't think broader in terms of the impact it could have. So like your, your, like your story that you shared, yeah, you go into a restaurant or experience this and say, oh my gosh, it's not so good. How then do we say, what is it that my consumers are experiencing? 
versus I just had this experience. And I, I think that's just so incredibly important is that perspective that we have because coming from those front lines allowed me to always grow through my, my career. And I've always done this, Jack. Like when I was a district manager, I would host huddles with all of our associates to say, what's working or what's not working? Are, are you aligned on the priorities, et cetera? When I was a regional, when I was a vice president, et cetera, every role I've always been able to do that listening and having that conversation at scale. And today with nearly 20,000 associates, social media is how, I, is how I try to do it. Between LinkedIn and Instagram, you know, I, when I think about Instagram specifically, we at Banfield are nearly 20,000 associates, 75% are millennials or Gen Z. And I have a choice to make. Do I ask them to come to me to have a conversation or do I go where, they're, where they are living already and, and the conversation's already happening? And so I created, I, create, I really amplified both uh, platforms, LinkedIn and Instagram. And Instagram was really created like in 2017, uh, my, 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 um, my handle, and it was designed to just listen to what our associates were experiencing and understand how to connect with them across the country. And really quickly, I'll share the story of, we changed a policy on how, what scrubs our, our, our associates could wear. So how we had a dress at, at Banfield, you had two options, dark blue or light blue. <laughs> and and so I was in a hospital visit and someone brought brought that up of like, why don't we have fun scrub Friday? What happened to it? And I'm like, what do you mean what happened to it? I didn't even know we had it. <laughs> so I, I learned that someone created a fun scrub Friday, but they got rid of it because our corporate policy was this. And I just said, should we change it? And they said, yes. So I went, to, I, I started visiting more hospitals. I put it out on Instagram. Should we change this policy? Overwhelmingly, everyone's like, <laughs> yeah. yes, yes, yes. I literally took a video of someone in the in the hospital dancing when I said we're going to get rid of it. And I said, can I post this? She said, yes. <laughs> I posted it. And it was like, it was like 20x any video ever had with comments, everything else. And it was a way for me to use a platform to connect and for also people to see authentically like who's Brian on, on, on the off time as well. That's fantastic. This might be a contrarian thought as I'm listening to you talk. Do you think with college tuition being so expensive and so many people and the people who you know, work at your company, you know, millennials and Gen Zs, just anchor down with debt, would they be better off? And this is not going to happen, but I'm just throwing it out there. It's so maybe to do what you did, like, hey, maybe you could start college or maybe you just take a gap year or two and actually work somewhere and kind of learn those lessons you learned, get some direction, get some focus, you know, figure out what it means to actually work maybe at, in, at a Walgreens, what have you, and then maybe later go back to college. Do you think maybe we're doing it the wrong way now by saddling the Gen Zs and the millennials with crazy debt and they have no work-life experience until they go into, after they graduate? It, well, what's, here's what's interesting. I think everyone's unique experience is yeah. going to be to, you know, their own. And like, I just wasn't ready when it happened to me. And when I went back to college uh, later in life, it was like eight years later, I went back. I studied philosophy mm -hmm. and, and so I took a non-traditional path. It's even, it's kind of funny to this day when we, if I'm talking with anyone, they always assume my, you know, my, my degrees in business and I'm like, yeah. no, it's philosophy. <laughs> and I was like, how, why, and what are you talking about? So you're breaking all the rules. So like everything like you're supposed to do, checking things off, it's not checking it off. So did your parents after like, they were saying, you're not going to college, you dropped out. Ah. Oh, you go to college. Great. Oh, what are you majoring in business? Uh, no. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so, a, lot, but it a, lot of, a lot of people probably were scratching their heads yeah. and saying, what are you doing? Doesn't make sense. But, you know, for, for me, it was about having, it's about having the experiences. And I think, you know, philosophy allowed me to question everything. It's all rooted in logic. And it, it formulates basis for understanding, challenging anything, forming you know, logical arguments. I say my hesitation is because sometimes we have competing competing arguments, and we want to think that we're right. But it's but it's about what ought to what ought to happen in in society. And philosophy has always historically played a strong role. Historically has. And it's been interesting though that like the lessons that I learned from it have been powerful and helped me today. And so it was a moment for me of I wasn't ready and the lessons I received by stocking the shelves and everything where it was powerful, the experience I had led me to, I wanted that freedom and college was that opportunity for me to gain that freedom because there were so many roles that I was doing. One of the roles I had also, I was a store manager. I did some college recruiting. I was responsible for nine colleges and universities. So I developed a lot of relationships with other companies and their recruiters. And then, and I, I had a lot of these companies trying to recruit me. And then, but once it got to, where's your degree? And I said, I didn't have one. It was like, oh, we, li we love you, but, and it's like, my aptitude hasn't changed. Like my potential really hasn't changed. So it, it felt off-putting to me. So I, I just encourage people to find their passion and pursue that passion. And if there's an obstacle, figure out how what figure out what that obstacle is and, and how to do that. And I think education is incredibly important. And there's and there and it's like at Banfield as an example, we pay for a lot of education now. So if someone wants to become a veterinary technician, we're paying for that through a partnership with Penn Foster, and then also through a partnership with Instride, who's been an absolute amazing partner. We're now paying for college education and we're gonna expand it to a thousand of our associates that can get any college degree now. And so non-STEM, we kind of start off with some STEM focus because of the, our healthcare component, but we've now changed that because education is just too important and it can truly, truly change someone's lives. So I think it's, it's about breaking the mold of what standardization was. I think that's the bigger issue, Jack, is we have this standardized approach mm -hmm. to everything. And it, it's, it's increasingly clear that people wanna be seen, heard, and valued. And so we need more personalized choices. Now, it's interesting, because you mentioned in Stride, and that's how I got to know, yeah. be introduced to you through Vivek Sharma, who, and me being a New York, guy being skeptical when he told me about you know the free tuition all that i'm i'm, I'm asking wait Vivek, but, but won't someone get the degree and just leave he goes well maybe but if they leave they're going to be a good pr person saying how great it was at that company that they did it for me so that's positive yeah. it's just like you having those instagram photos and, and videos that just right. speak for itself or they stay within your organization and grow like places like walmart you know, you see that the people who are the executives oftentimes were schlepping boxes yeah. early on, like, you know, when you at Walgreens right. and just moved up the ladder. So then he sold me on like, oh, all right, now I get it. It kind of makes sense. <laughs> so I guess where you are the same thing where you're saying, hey, we may leave some, we, we may lose some great people because they're going to get a degree and do something different. But we also may have the next, you know, I don't want someone to take your place, but the next CEO one day, you know, who rises up through the ranks because, you know, they were able to kind of, they love what they do. They're learning and growing and keep, you know, going yeah. through the organization. Absolutely. I mean, that would not, that would make me so much, so happy to have someone who was received a degree through Instride and took my role. I think that'd be absolutely fantastic. 
because that's that at the end of the day, it's truly what you believe. Do you believe in people and a people strategy or, or not? And, and like in this case, I, I genuinely do. And this is where Vivek and I are incredibly aligned because my, my personal purpose is to make a better world for people. That's all. I want to make a better world for people. And I, I, I'm so appreciative of the opportunities that I had. I had to work hard. I had to say yes. I had to sacrifice a lot. And I had people that bought into me and they, they took care of me. And I, and I never forget those lessons. And so if you say people is, you know, you hear it all the time, all oh, people are the greatest asset or we're trying to do, you know, fill in the blank. It's either, it's either like just corporate rhetoric or it's truly a foundation of what your culture is gonna be built upon. And when I think, I tell everyone that I meet and anyone who joins our organization, culture is my top priority. It's the top priority, number one priority is culture. And culture comes to life two ways at Banfield, through our equity, inclusion, and diversity journey and our associate health and well-being journey. And we define health and well-being five ways, healthy body, healthy mind, healthy finances, healthy career, and healthy community. And we've invested millions and millions of dollars in different benefits, programs for our associates on that associate health and well-being journey. Because we first said, in order for us to take care of pets and to truly have a differentiated client experience, we've got to take care of our people. Because if, if we don't have our people, if our people don't start, stay and grow with us, it doesn't matter. We're going to have this rotation and we're not going to build better intact teams, which when you build better intact teams, you build better engagement which builds better efficiency. And all of a sudden, guess what? You can now see more pets and you can impact more clients in a, in a happier way that they get the experience, which drives your top and bottom line. So if you truly only care about top and bottom line, then create a people strategy. If you love people, create a people strategy, but actually take care and follow up. And if you do that, you'll deliver the best, best in class results. So whatever your motivation is, people will get you there, but it's just easier when you can do it in a way that, that unites people. So I just think it's incredibly important for, for people to truly believe in what they're saying, not just talking about the, the flavor of the month of whatever it is. And again, my personal purpose is to make a better world for people. And I anchor that in on my values. And my values are really empathy, which I'm going to change now to advocacy because empathy is being overutilized. And it, it, it almost feels like a mismatch where when everyone's saying something, if, you, if you're not actually taking action, then it doesn't matter. But it's really rooted on my values and which also are curiosity and impact. Curiosity drives everything I do around, can we, are we, is there a better way to do it? How are people thinking about things? Is there a different industry we can learn from? That curiosity really drives me to always want to learn more and understand differently and deeper, but it's all in service of impact. And the platform you were discussing, is that part of Band Together or, or that's something else that you're also yeah no it is it, it is and i i think when i when i when i look at this band together it was, was an idea of how do we take action how do we have greater advocacy when i think about um things that have happened around conversations around equity inclusion diversity it, it's just it's been frustrating how slow it takes to make change and in the like in the universe but yet I feel like if we if it was a priority, we could move things faster. So we've always been rooted at Banfield at the intersection of pet health and societal well-being. And societal well-being has been driven by like what are the big issues in society? How do those issues impact our industry or our associates? And if it does, what's our responsibility about doing something about it? 
so the concept with Band Together is really also where, where our partnership with, with Instride came in, is it's really said, what are three big issues in society that overlap? Like in some, imagine like a nice Venn diagram. You've got, you've got issues in society, mm -hmm. issues in the veterinary industry, and issues that our associates are experiencing. When they all come together, we were able to really identify three important components. One was education. So educational pathways, which we talked a little bit about. This another one was improving mental health. And what, we, what everything that we're hearing and reading about, specifically during the pandemic on mental health, is, is only is only worsened over over these last couple of years. And then empowering women, which is the same thing, the same headlines. So those three topics are big issues in society. They they're issues in the veterinary industry, and they're issues our associates are experiencing. So it's like, okay, now that we know it's a problem, it's one thing to know about it, but then it's like, what are you gonna do about it? And so that's where we've expanded educational pathways. And so at the end of the day, tying back to inclusion and diversity, when people stay with us, if you treat, you have the right culture, they're gonna stay. They get a degree, we have endless opportunities for them. And then when you think about our, our workforce representation, we want to make sure we have the proper workforce representation for the communities in which we serve. So when all of a sudden, if you if, if someone who has now a degree, boom, they, they move into a practice manager role and they, and they, they grow with from in, grow, grow from within, all of a sudden you have better representation. And when I think about like equity, inclusion, diversity, it, we, how are we modeling that? Like So my senior leadership team, we're, it's, it's an incredibly diverse team. Five of eight are female, by the way. And so when I, when I look at the diversity on our team, then ethnic diversity as well, it's very representative. And so I can't say it's important if my team doesn't match it as well. And then how are we setting expectations for, for, you know, for, for the organization? And we set expectations by saying how, how our team looks, thinks, acts, et cetera. And what is it our, we were prioritizing? So Band Together was really designed on focusing on three those three areas, educational pathways, mental health, and empowering women. And educational pathways we've, we've talked uh, a lot about, so I'll move to mental health. Mental health is a, is a massive issue in, in the world. It's a big issue in the US. It's a big issue in the veterinary industry. One in six veterinarians contemplate suicide at some point in their career. I one read that, why is that? That's, that's one, shocking yeah, to me. It is, and one in 10 have, have a mental health issue. We refer to that commonly as, as compassion fatigue. You have, you have a few things that are at stake. And this is, again, if I go back to associate health and well-being, that those five domains, they're all intertwined and they're all interconnected. So financial health, financial burden that you have actually impacts your mental health as well. And so when you think about something you mentioned on educational debt, student debt is a massive issue. Yeah. And, and student debt is an issue in why people don't pursue a degree. That's why our partnership with Instride is fantastic. We're paying for it. Free degree, free degree. You want to be a veterinary technician, free degree. You, and if we can, and then for our doctors, we, we, we launched a student debt repayment program. We are one of 4% companies originally to do this, to pay down their student debt. So to your question on mental health, you have massive amounts of student debt. Uh, veterinarians graduate with some of the highest student debt to income ratio of any profession out there. 
you go into this profession as a calling. You're not necessarily going into it because it's the most going to be the most lucrative mm-hmm. thing. You, it's 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 with remarkable consistency. When I was nine, I had my first pet. I knew I wanted to be a veterinarian, <laughs> and so it's it's amazing and it's and it's 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 so warming to hear the story. And yet we've got to make sure that this career is affordable and the financial burden is not something that really weighs on you. The other thing I'll mention quickly on 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 just the, the compassion fatigue and what happens in the hospital is you don't get to pick your caseload either. So here's a real example of you, you can have, you know, 10, 15 rooms already scheduled and you're going from room to room doing your, these, doing these different exams. And first room you walk into could be a seven-year-old girl with her first puppy. And you take on that emotion. Who, who doesn't love seeing yeah. a puppy? It's the greatest, like, it's the greatest like experience one can have almost. And so you, you take on this emotion and this high of what you just experienced and you go into the next room and you may ha- need to put down a 13 year old golden retriever that has meant the world to this family. And you see two teenagers who only, almost only knew this dog and the family is crying and you take on this emotion. You came in from a high to an absolute low in this family's life right at this time. And then your next room could be a, you know, a nine-year-old boy with, a, with, a, with, with their first puppy. You don't get to pick and choose the emotional influx of what you experience. And there's just a lot that happens in this industry. And it's, it's an industry that is just rooted in wanting just to make a better world for pets. And the experience often is, is not everything that we think it could be in terms of just playing with puppies every day. Do, do you offer, you may have mentioned, I didn't catch it. Do you have coaching, like mental health coaching or, or, or uh, apps or other things to help yeah. with that? Because that's serious. The way you walk it through, that's, I could understand how it could be frustrating where a person incurs a huge amount of debt, gets into a position where it's a calling, but doesn't yes. pay as well to, because the college debt is just, as you point out, just so crazy. Right. And, and that highs and lows, I could see how it could kind of wear you down. Plus being two years of a pandemic, World War III, you kind of put everything on top of it. It's, it's unbelievable stress. There's a, there's a lot, there's a lot. So, so yes, we've done, we have, we have tools and resources available to our associates. We have free counseling. We have free apps. We have, we have a partnership with Headspace where everyone can have a Headspace app and, and to utilize meditation to help. And while that may not be the solution that's best for everybody, again, we have counseling. But going back to the one in six suicide number that I mentioned, one of the things that we created was a program called Ask, Assess, Support, Know. And it was, it was something that we created at Banfield to destigmatize talking about mental health. So when we launched this, we, we, we closed every one of our hospitals over a 90, uh, 90, our 90 day period. Every one of our hospitals was closed for three hours where we had taken every associate through this training. Mm-hmm. And then every associate that now joins goes through this training as well, because we wanna make sure that we have some responsibility about doing something about it. Again, it's one thing to know about it, it's what are you doing about it? And so we, we created this training, we had taken all our associates and we gave it away to the industry free. Here, industry, please use this because this isn't a banfield issue, it's an industry yeah. and societal issue. So we, we create tools and resources that we give away to the industry. But when I think about whether it's that headspace meditation or spring health, 
assessment tools that we have. We have an assessment tool that people can take to understand what's going on that can help lead to some counseling. We wanna provide tools and resources for our associates and band together it's focused on those three areas. And it's the concept is to find other thought leaders, business leaders, people in academic, academia that wants to be part of the conversation, that wants to be part of the solution. And we're banding together to tackle some major issues in society that can impact people. You know, this might be a stupid question, Brian, but when you walk through like you did just now, it seems kind of so obvious to the listener of like, oh yeah, well, you know, that all makes sense. Why do you think, most other companies, and I'll say most, don't do these things. And you could tell, like I said, when we talked earlier about the restaurant experience, oh, another yeah. experience, you're gonna cringe when I tell you this. So yeah. we have, you know, you have these doggy day camps where, you know, you, you know, for the day, for the week, whatever, you bring your sure. dog in. And so we're gonna bring our dog in, we're gonna go away for the weekend. And I see one of the workers there was an older dog, couldn't really walk, kind of lie down. And by the leash, she's dragging him. Oh. And I'm, I'm appalled. Like, and I even said, what, what are you, you can't do that. I mean, I, I, I was never at this place. I was checking it out to see, all right, maybe right. go there. And, and, and I'm thinking, who's the manager? Who's training? Who's watching over? Because if someone is doing that, that means no one is really watching over. Right. Because that's probably not the first time they did something like that. So why is it that there's so many other companies that just, just, don't kind of do these things, which seems so kind of common sense and obvious. I, I shared earlier, yeah. I, I personally think it's very, very simple. It's just not easy yeah. to do. It's just not, I mean, easy. That's it's, just what not it is. it's just not easy to yeah. do, but, but you got to have patience with it. And you, and it, and it's, it's, I actually think it is simple and easy to do. You got to have patience and you got to have alignment and you have to execute. It's, it takes ultimate execution. If you truly believe in it, it's gonna get it's gonna get done. It's amazing when people hype, bring up their expectations. I mean, people who expect more get more, and it's unbelievable how you can simultaneously raise your expectations and engagement at the same time. And there's just brilliant examples of of it out there. It's just about are you really willing to to do whatever it takes to to truly fight for your people. And that's been my experience because like whenever we've launched something, it's been unbelievable to see how it does work and we, and we get the return on investment. But, you, you, it's, but it's, it's, sometimes it's not easy to see the ROI. Sometimes it's not easy to calculate it yeah. and it, it, it can become more difficult, but it, 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 ha it has to be something that you believe in. And if you believe in it, then just align your people, set expectations and execute like crazy. That's great. It, it, I think we could end on that because that's a great way. But is there anything else I didn't ask you that you feel you want to kind of share with uh, the listeners? Well, you did. Okay. I got to get the name your, names of your dogs. Uh, Buddy and Blue. Buddy, Blue, and then we have Jingles and Dolly for the cats. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I yeah. love it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I posted underneath when we announced that you're here. I put uh, two of my cats and one of the dogs. And I was looking for another dog picture but i'm gonna post that later so yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i love yeah, it yeah. i love it yeah so this so hey, this was so great i really appreciate you taking the time out and and sharing this because on so many levels because on one level obviously as a, as a as a ceo it's great to hear your story from walgreens you know stocking shelves to leading you know the largest vet chain in in the u.s which is mm -hmm. huge and and I think for a lot of people, managers who are watching this or who will be watching this in the future, it gives some great lessons to like what to do and what not to do. 
and yeah. and and the takeaway is great because you know I think it makes the life better for the workers. They're going to be more engaged, especially now, like we talked about with the war for talent, the Great Resignation. You know, you you have more now more than ever. You really have to you know. And I like how you said you know to be an advocate because empathy. I was just talking to Christine earlier about it. Like, how soon are people going to pivot away from? Empathy, because it's so over you. I swear to God, I'm done. We were, talk, we were talking about that just before you got on. We were kind of saying, "It's I don't know. Is that gonna? I think people are just gonna be tired of that." So, like advocacy. So, yeah. So, it's like you, you get you've given a lot of great advice to people, and that's fantastic. That's what we're trying to do: help people, help them with their careers, help them decide what to do. Here, encourage you know, uplifting stories like yours that gives them hope if they're kind of a little lost and not sure what to do. You know, and and says, hey, all right, this guy did it. He seems like a nice, normal guy. I think I if he could do it, I could kind of do it. So I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step on my game. So this is great, Brian. Oh, I love it. And anyone can do it. I mean, the the voice of your associate should dictate really where your organization goes. It ought to really dictate the vision of the organization. And if you want to know if your strategy is great, go talk to your people. And you know, it's funny, Jack. The last two things I'll just mention is this. I, I did I did I did this work on what like, what are my values and it was so funny I, I had was empathy, curiosity and impact yeah. and then over these last couple of years I'm like I'm done I gotta get I still value it but it's like I because it becomes noise yeah and and it, it's like how do like what's next where's the next frontier and where do we need to go now and next to continue to evolve and evolve the experience for our associates and it's even like the great resignation. I got tired of hearing about that. Like it's the great restart. Yeah. It's an opportunity to restart. Yeah. So it's just it's just powerful when you sh- make those shifts. Of yes. we're not talking about the great resignation. People people leave people. So if people are not happy, it's a great restart. So how can we restart with all of our associates? So what one of the things that we did was forget our turnover. How do we restart today to make sure every associate has that right experience? And then how do we become the employer of choice where people want to come work for us? And so our turnover has done this during this time. It's fantastic. That's great. Hey, for people who have pets like myself and want to find, where can they find, where, like what website should they go to? How Banfield.com. Banfield.com. So if you have yeah. a dog, a cat, what well, was, well, like, how does it rate every a gerbil? Is it everything? Every pet? Well, horses? we do. We specialize in small companion animals. So okay. banfield.com. Our wellness plans are for, for cats and dogs. Mm-hmm. And, but we do take care of uh, small, small companion animals. So we, we, we see gerbils, hamsters, rabbits, <laughs> you name it. We see it. We, we see some exotics as well, but we want to, we want to make sure that we're able to be part of that conversation of what, the, what your pet is and how can we help your pet? And if we can't, we'll find someone else. So Banfield.com is the place to go. Excellent. And if you have a bad pr- problem or issue, please, please contact me directly because <laughs> we will Excellent. solve it for you. Right. Awesome. This is fantastic. I really appreciate it. You made my day. And I, I love your energy. You, you, I love the optimism energy. It's infectious. So I feel great. <laughs> so this is great. I'm sure everyone else is watching feels great too. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jack. It. Really appreciate the opportunity. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Bye.